there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com podcast. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I'm I'm always excited, but this particular episode is about lab interpretation and it's about interpreting LFTs. And there are many facets when it comes to interpreting LFTs, but I'm going to be using a case study to go through the most common presentation in primary care so that hopefully the vast majority of people that you see with LFT abnormalities, you'll know confidently what steps to take next, when to work when not to worry, stuff like that. And on that note, I actually have all the main labs in primary care inside the lab interpretation crash course. The reason I made it uh, when I started Real World NP about two years ago now is because I hated lab interpretation as a new nurse practitioner. And I really, you know, took after a couple years of practice and I started Real World NP, I sat down and I really learned the depths of lab interpretation that I had been really wanting to my entire career so far. And I'm just so thrilled with how it came out. And it has been so helpful for so many nurse practitioners in their confidence and saving time and in taking excellent care of their patients. So if you're struggling with labs, definitely keep listening to this episode, but also consider joining us for the lab interpretation crash course. All those details are over at realworldnp.com labs. However, let's jump into this case study. I'm going to start with a case study and then a pause, and then I'll talk about LFT interpretation, and then we'll apply it to this particular case. So this is based on a real patient. None of the personal information is the same, though. That's all been changed. So this is a patient that I will call Janine. She's a 42-year-old white cis female, and she was a new patient to the clinic. She was there. The chief complaint was establishing care with a new PCP. I'm sure you see lots of those visits as a new nurse practitioner. She had no concerns that day, but she needed medication refills. Her past medical history included diabetes, hypertension, a BMI of greater than 30. However, she did not smoke, did not use any alcohol or drugs. She had one uh, cis male sexual partner and then had a Paragard IUD. No past surgical history or family history, pretty straightforward uh, case presentation, but she was taking metformin 1,000 milligrams twice a day. She was also taking lisinopril 10 milligrams daily. At the time of the visit, her blood pressure was 138 over 78, slightly elevated, heart rate of 77. Her oxygen and respiratory rate were also normal, and her BMI was 30. So for the plan, for this episode, I'm really focusing on the lab interpretation aspect, but every patient is a full human with holistic care. So at the end of this episode, I'll kind of recap the other components of her holistic care aside from addressing her abnormal labs. So at that visit, I actually, I I didn't get into her physical exam, but basically I just did a, a very basic review of systems and physical exam. 
for her review of systems, I ask, you know, usually about four body systems, cardiac, respiratory, general, things like that, et cetera, depending on the case chief complaint of why they're there. And then the physical exam is usually like a, a heart and lung exam with um, looking at their extremities as well when it has to do with a history of hypertension to look for any edema. And her whole physical exam and review of systems was overall negative and normal. So again, the plan today is to talk about LFTs. And at the time of that visit, I determined to order a couple of lab tests for her. And I mentioned this in another episode, but when it comes to choosing what labs to order and when, my two main factors are one, what are the medical conditions that they currently have that I'm trying to assess and how am I trying to assess that? Or what is the chief complaint that they have and how is that lab going to help me with my interpretation of that lab? Otherwise, what are the screening recommendations of when to order screening tests for what conditions, right? So hemoglobin A1C, for example, or lipid screening, et cetera, et cetera. So for her, because she had a BMI of 30, she had a history of hypertension and was taking medications long-term, I wanted to check on her, um, and she also had diabetes, I wanted to check on her complete metabolic panel to see if uh, how her renal function was and her liver function as well, her A1C because she has diabetes. For the CBC, it was more of like a screening because I wanted to make sure that the A1C was going to be accurate. And I also ordered her urine microalbumin, which is an annual screening test for diabetes to check for early uh, signs of renal dysfunction, which likely you learned about in school, but if you're an NP student listening, you're getting ahead of the game there. Anyway, those are the labs that I ordered for her that day and the rationales for them. So let's talk about the results. So effectively, her CBC was normal. The basic metabolic panel component of the CMP, the complete metabolic panel, the electrolytes and renal function, that aspect was completely normal. Her A1C was 6.7% which was in a, in a goal range for diabetes. And her microalbumin was also in the normal range. How beautiful. So that brings us to the LFTs. And this, this example is like almost every day in primary care. So hopefully this episode is really helpful for you. So the LFT components, I'm a very visual person. So I'm going to try to explain this in a way that is uh, easily digestible without the visuals. But anyway, when it comes to LFTs, there's a few components on your lab. And your lab might be a little bit different than others, but generally speaking, you'll have a couple of different components. So albumin is there. Total protein is likely there. Total bilirubin is also likely there. You may or may not have direct and indirect bilirubin as part of your LFT panel. Um, that is not part of our standard panel. And then the other three components are alkaline phosphatase, ALT, and AST. So for her, everything was normal except for the ALT and the AST. So the normal reference range depends on your lab, and it depends on basically the machines that they're using and how they calculate the labs. And so that's why you use your own reference range to determine if it's normal or abnormal. But generally speaking, they're not too far off these quote-unquote standard reference ranges. So textbook reference range for ALT and AST in U.S. units are both 10 to 40. So for this patient, her ALT was 74 and her AST was 62. So both of those were slightly elevated with nothing else abnormal. Like how often do you see this lab? I see it like almost every day. So I'm going to pause on Janine's case. Let's talk about LFTs. 
When I teach lab interpretation on teaching in general, I try to teach the like zoomed out big picture concepts. So you understand you like, you're not memorizing, you're understanding what I'm talking about and you're understanding the lay of the land and the key points and the key anchors of what to remember, right? So when it comes to LFTs, you'll hear people talking about the upper limit of normal and you'll read about it too, right? So upper limit of normal is referring to the reference range of the lab. So like I just said, the textbook reference range is about 10 to 40 and that's in US units. If you are outside of the US, you can run those into a calculator and calculate them into international units. Um, and basically the guidelines are the same, just depending on the country that you're practicing in. I'm just recommending people are mindful of their local uh, practice guidelines, but I follow the CDC and World Health Organization and other US and international guidelines. So anyway, going back to upper limit of normal, it's talking about that reference range of 10 to 40. So if 40 is the upper limit of normal, the first question people have when it comes to LFTs, like if you're presenting a case to somebody and you're asking what they think, which happens a lot as a new nurse practitioner, um, you want to talk about how many times the upper limit of normal it is. It really just simplifies it for easier communication and interpretation, right? So two times the upper limit of normal is 80, right? So two times 40 is 80. So 10 times the upper limit of normal is about 400, 4,000, 400. I shouldn't do math off the top of my head while I'm trying to record. Anyway, how many times the upper limit of normal are we talking about, right? So just doing that math. Four times the upper limit of normal, 160, right? Anyway, my math is probably off, so please don't quote me on the math part, but just remember the upper limit of normal part, whatever. Okay, so that's, that's like a main key point about LFTs. The other really important key, like global point about LFTs is like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about one lab in the LFT panel is abnormal? Or is it like multiple? Is it all of them, right? Is it just ALKFOS by itself? Because that has a different differential approach than if it's ALKFOS, AST, and ALT, right? Or if it's AST, ALT, and bilirubin, right? Just another branch point to think about. How many times the upper limit of normal is it? And how many elements are involved? Like which ones are involved? Because you're basically deciphering patterns here. That's the first step in noticing the patterns. The third most important thing in the initial approach to LFTs is do they have any comorbidities you want to keep in mind? For example, do they have CHF? Are they at risk for fluid overload, right? Because that comorbid condition really impacts your approach to the differential diagnosis. And then one other very zoomed out thematic approach to liver function tests to understand is that you're looking at patterns to determine if it's one of two things, for the most part, there's other caveats, but just broad brush, very global perspective, you're looking at the pattern of which labs are elevated compared to which other ones to determine if it's, and you can say these things, you can quote me and say these things and sound real fancy, but um, is it hepatocellular or cholestatic? And I'm obsessed with that because it sounds so fancy, but let me tell you what that actually means if you're not familiar with that. Basically, you're determining if it's a liver-specific problem or if it's a bile duct and biliary tree-related problem. So he hepatocellular means hepatocyte injury. So the primary problem is from a liver cell injury. So typically in that pattern of liver-specific pattern of LFTs is that it's the ALT, AST, and it may also be ALK-FOS and bilirubin, 
But when you go back to what I said about upper limit of normal, you're seeing the ULN, the upper limit of normal for each of those components. So for just to make the math a little bit easier, I might misspeak, but anyway, ALT and AST, for example, if it is four times the upper limit of normal, so it's 160 for AST and ALT, just for the sake of an example, four times the upper limit of normal versus the ALKFOS, is about 120 is the upper limit of that reference range. And it's about, so that if that was 240, that's only two times the upper limit of normal. So which, which category is the higher times the upper limit of normal, ALT and AST, right? In that example, and hopefully I did my numbers right, but you get the gist, hopefully. Anyway, so whichever one is the more times the upper limit of normal is the predominant one. So this is kind of similar to uh, interpreting CBCs. If you listen to the leukocytosis episode, you're seeing which one is the predominant, like who's the winner here, right? So ALT and AST being the more elevated one is going to point you more towards a liver-specific problem, right? And the bilirubin might be elevated or it might not be, and that's fine. You know, it just, it influences the picture, but it's not deter, it doesn't add anything to that determination of liver versus bile duct. So just hold that thought about bilirubin. So cholestatic pattern, cholestasis, means the primary problem is coming from the biliary tree, bile duct, or gallbladder, and or gallbladder. And so how would you know that? You would know that because alkaline phosphatase is the most predominant element of the LFTs, either by itself or in conjunction with ALT, AST, and or bilirubin. But going back to that upper limit of normal conversation, if it's four times the upper limit of normal for ALKFOS, if the ALT and AST is only two times the upper limit of normal, then it's more likely going to be a biliary related problem, right? So those are like the very broad brush approach. Just recap that real quick before we go back into the workup, especially for this patient. So again, key points to start with. How many times the upper limit of normal is what you're looking at? Which elements are involved? Is it one element or multiple? And then in the back of your mind, incorporating any comorbidities they have when it comes to your approach to workup. Again, keeping in mind that the general gist of what you're doing with LFTs is putting together patterns to assess whether or not it's a liver-specific, bile duct, or otherwise, which there are some other caveats, but hold that thought. But anyway, that's the general approach. And so when you get into the nitty-gritty, it's kind of a little bit of a recap, but there's kind of four main steps. Number one, do they have symptoms? That's basically one of the questions you always want to ask with any lab. What symptoms do they have, if any? Even if you don't know what lab, what symptoms to look for with that lab, just think about it to start. Just start there, right? Because every lab abnormality has symptoms that are, are potentially related that you can learn. But anyway, number one, did they have any symptoms, right? Or did you incidentally find it, which is the vast majority of labs that I see anecdotally in primary care? Number two is what is the pattern, right? So that's why I just spent all that time talking about hepatocellular or cholestatic. Oh my gosh, if you use that in clinical practice, like please like, you know, leave me a comment on Instagram or something because I'll be very pleased and people will think you'll be real, you'll be real fancy. Um, anyway, so what is that pattern? What's the general gist of the pattern? And the next branch point, which I'm going to talk about next is categorizing whether or not it's mild, moderate, or severe. So hold that thought. We're going to talk about that. And then the last piece in terms of the AST, ALT workup is, is this a brand new problem? Is it a known stable problem? Is it getting better or is it getting worse? I talked about this in the leukocytosis case study video, but our episode and um, podcast episode and video, but this applies to a lot of labs, right? 
one of the mistakes that new grads make is automatically jumping in and assuming something is brand new and not looking back historically to see if anything's been done about it before or if it's ever happened before. And like, what is that trend over time, right? So always making sure that you're looking to see if there's a trend. Let's break those down a little bit. Let's talk about symptoms specific to AST and ALT. So number one, do they have any symptoms? And all of these kind of like four steps are kind of simultaneous. So you can do them in any order. I just listed them off in that order. So do they have any symptoms? Were they symptomatic at the time or was it an incidental finding that you found on their labs? One beautiful, I, I have not said this yet, but I'm like obsessed with, <laughs> if I have a favorite lab, it's LFTs. The panel of LFTs is like my favorite, which is so nerdy to say, but the lab course will help you get to that place too, if you're struggling. Anyway, one of the things I love about AST and ALT and liver function tests is that there's basically one worst case scenario, which is acute liver failure. So it's really just one thing to remember. And what are the signs and symptoms of acute liver failure? Altered mental status jaundice. Um, it can come in the sclera, under the tongue, on undertone, under the skin, uh, depending on the underlying skin tone of the patient. But like when you press on the skin, you can see the underlying skin is like a yellowish color. Um, they can have right upper quadrant pain, nausea, vomiting, malaise. If you happen to have a person in front of you and you're ordering LFTs because you're worried that they have acute liver failure, you may consider also ordering an INR for that person. And their INR level will also be elevated, which will kind of give you a further picture of like how well the liver is actually functioning at that time. But you probably won't get a screening INR for anybody unless they're already taking warfarin for some reason. So anyway, number one, did they have any symptoms, right? Keeping in mind, there's only, there's really only one to look at, right? The next piece is, is it mild, moderate, or severe specifically related to AST and ALT? I, again, I love this. I feel like it's so straightforward and simple in my mind, at least, and hopefully I'm explaining it in a straightforward way. But when it comes to ALT and AST, I've said a couple of times, it's the typical reference range is about 10 to 40. Mild is considered to be up to two times the upper limit of normal. And that's one of the other beautiful things is that it comes back to that ULN, that upper limit of normal. So you're not really memorizing the actual reference range numbers. You're, you're memorizing the two times the upper limit of normal. Like two is much easier to remember than, you know, 80 units or whatever. So mild is up to two times the upper limit of normal. Moderate is up to 15 times the upper limit of normal. So that's up to 600. I guess I misspoke on my math before, whatever. So 10 times the upper limit of normal is 400, not 4,000. <laughs> Moderate is up to 15 times the upper limit of normal. And severe is greater than 15 times the upper limit of normal. So greater than about 600 units. And the reason I, I'm saying this and, and pausing here is that most of the time when I work with new nurse practitioners, they see abnormal LFTs and then they freak out. I mean, they freak out. Like, I'm saying this with so much love and compassion because I was there before. Number one, it's completely normal. Number two, I was there before, right? But I just hope that this episode can keep, put your mind a little bit more at ease that when you see something that's like 80, an AST or ALT of 80, like you can kind of slow your roll a little bit if they're not symptomatic, right? Like just take a deep breath and you got this, right? You have, you have a ways to go, right? So there's a couple of different ways to approach it. So, if, so again, number one, do they have symptoms? What's the pattern? We've already kind of determined the pattern um, that specifically we're talking about ALT and AST specifically for this case because that's more of that hepatocellular pattern, right? And then again, next step is mild, moderate, or severe. And then if it's new, stable, worsening, or improving. 
So we've already talked about the symptoms. We talked about mild, moderate, or severe. Again, that's two times, less than 15 times, and then greater than 15 times the upper limit of normal. So next, I want to talk about working up mild, right? So I'm not going to talk about moderate and severe. If you want to learn more about all the LFTs, like moderate and severe workups and ELKFOS and bilirubin and all that protein, albumin, all those labs, definitely join us for the lab interpretation crash course. But in this episode, we're going to talk about mild, the workup of mildly elevated ALT, AST in primary care. So what are the causes? So I'm going to talk about the causes and then the evaluation, and then I'll talk about the algorithm. It's a little bit hard to, for me to listen over viewing an algorithm, but I'll try to explain the algorithm clearly enough so that it's easy to follow on audio. If you're looking for the visual reference though, I also have a case study on um, a version of this case study on the YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash realworldnp if you want to see this case study visually. But anyway, so mild, like what causes mild elevations? Again, that's up to two times the upper limit of normal. Common causes. Number one, we always look at medications, herbs, supplements, or other drugs that they might be using. And always asking specifically because patients frequently forget to mention that. I think they're just, they're just, they're just not ready for the questions that we ask them sometimes. So I specifically ask you to take any herbal supplements, anything over the counter, any Tylenol, any um, Aleve, like just kind of naming the multivitamins, things like that. Because patients, again, don't necessarily think to offer that. So asking that first. And then the three Three to four top common causes are number one, fatty liver. Like above and beyond, fatty liver is like the main one in primary care that can cause elevations up to two times the upper limit of normal. The next one, so I'm going to talk about the evaluation for each of these. The next one is hepatitis, hepatitis B or C that is chronic. I happen to be really fond of GI and hepatology as well. And I've also treated hep C in primary care. So I could go on and on. I'll try to keep it brief though. But anyway, typically with hepatitis, with an acute infection, there are more likely to be high spikes of the LFTs initially. So if you are seeing a slightly elevated up to two times the upper limit of normal elevation, it's likely a chronic hep B or C, which again determines the labs that you might order. And in fact, actually, if you're looking for help with hep B and C lab interpretation, if you go to, again, the YouTube channel of uh, youtube.com slash realworldnp, you can search the videos there and I do a, a number of case studies of those um, topics. So hopefully that will help you too. Um, but the other causes are alcohol use. So a little pearl of practice there is that most liver issues, the ALT is going to be higher than the AST. However, when it comes to alcohol use causing some liver issues and inflammation and elevated LFTs, the AST may actually be higher than ALT. And so it's an inverted, like two to one ratio of the AST is, is higher than the ALT. Some other reasons why you might see the AST higher than the ALT, that's just like as a side note, are things like cirrhosis, hep C chronically specifically, and then Wilson disease. I'm not going to get into those, but FYI. And then the last one is hemochromatosis. And that is a lot less common but one of the things I want to say is that with LFTs, it's a pretty clear investigation when it comes to the first pass. Like, what is the first pass of step one to evaluate the most common causes? And then if nothing happens and nothing comes to light with that workup, you can proceed to the next kind of second pass 
of like labs and differentials that are a lot less common. And typically, if I'm getting to step two of that, like lesser common causes that have their own workups, then I'm typically sending those patients to GI for further evaluation because they tend to be those quote unquote fancy labs that I like talking about in primary care. They're not like the bread and butter labs of primary care. So it depends on your personal comfort of your scope of practice and how well you understand the differentials and interpreting those labs. Like, I mean, go for it if that's your philosophy of practice. However, I just want to be clear that that's It's important as new nurse practitioners, if you are a new nurse practitioner, to recognize the scope of what is your um, comfort level and expertise and what is typical in primary care. And you always have the option to practice at the maximum scope of your comfort level within your license, right? But at the same time, like I think I, one of the pitfalls I see of new nurse practitioners, because they want to do such a good job, they tend to try to push themselves too far in like a kind of proving themselves way, which again, I'm saying with love and compassion because I did the same thing myself. And I still have to be mindful, but I'm like, you know, pushing things a little like, anyway, just being mindful of like, number one, prioritizing patient safety over any sort of proving or ego. I'm just going to be real talk right there, right? Okay, moving on. So those are the common causes. So how do we evaluate that? History is so important, right? Medications, herbs, supplements, recreational drugs, right? alcohol use and quantities and amounts, like things like like types and quantities, right? In a very non-judgmental way, um, just to elicit information. The next things, again, tying back to the causes with the evaluation with fatty liver, chronic hep B or C, hepatitis, or hemochromatosis and fatty liver. The next things are looking at the hep B and C serologies. Again, checking out that YouTube video, the YouTube channel, if you want help with interpreting those serologies, I have a couple of different, I have like three different videos about that. Um, iron studies. So um, looking at things like ferritin and TIBC and um, serum iron, like looking at the, those iron studies to help you interpret whether or not there's a risk for hemochromatosis. Also, you can tie that with the CBC. Most patients, if you have elevated LFTs, you've already obtained a CBC, but that will help with your evaluation of the hemochromatosis. And then the next piece is liver ultrasound. And you want to evaluate to see if there is a fatty liver, evidence of fatty liver on ultrasound. And like I said, that is the first pass, right? So just to recap in terms of an algorithm perspective, anybody with mild AST and ALT elevations up to two times the upper limit of normal, right? So up to about 80, depending on the reference range of your lab. If those patients have any signs of that one main problem with elevated LFTs, which is acute liver failure, if they are symptomatic, those patients can go to the ER. Most of the time, they are not in that case, right? However, things you want to look at, if it's less than two times the upper limit of normal, history questions first, alcohol use and quantities, any sort of signs of of risk factors for fatty liver, do they have any other comorbidities that you want, it would might make you think about another differential, something like CHF, right? So like a fluid overloaded situation that's overloading the liver, right? Drugs, any drugs, medications, or otherwise supplements, risk factors for hepatitis B and C. But anyway, looking at all of those pieces and then um, doing your first pass of investigation, whether or not it's hep C and B serologies, um, iron studies, and ultrasound, et cetera, et cetera. One caveat I want to add here is that because so many people have fatty liver, we can still do the investigation of all the other reasons. 
However, I worked with a GI specialist when I put together both the lab interpretation course and the material in this episode, because it's basically pulled from the lab interpretation crash course, is that because the reason for most slight elevations in ALT and AST is fatty liver, and if they had those risk factors, you could potentially work on an intervention for those patients in some, some sort of um, exercise dietary modification, um, lifestyle modification to see if it would affect the AST and ALT before you proceed with the rest of the first pass of labs. However, I know most new grads want to go right to the labs to determine that right away and then do an intervention depending on their findings. But anyway, whether or not you choose those two things, whether you do an intervention first to help with the potential for fatty liver versus you go straight to the lab interpretation plus, you know, lifestyle modification and an ultrasound, Whichever route you take, depending on what your findings are, you appropriately take the next steps depending on your top differential. And if nothing else has come about, those patients typically need to go to hematology, or excuse me, GI, because we want to take the next steps of investigation for them, right? And those fancy labs, I feel more comfortable with now, but I did not for a long time. So typically, and even just like real talk to this day, I typically will send them to GI. And if you have limited access to resources for your patients. And another pearl to add in there is that you could cold call them. I'm a big fan of that. There's a video basically with a script of how to do it on the YouTube channel as well, that you can basically call an office and have a conversation or send an email, for example, about a case and say, hey, are there any other things that you recommend? Because they either have to be you know, take a flight to get out of the rural situation that they are in to get to a specialist or they don't have the financial resources to get there, et cetera, et cetera. That's potentially another topic for another day, but definitely check out the YouTube channel if you haven't already to look at that when to refer to a specialist video so that you can feel more comfortable with that if you have limited access to resources. Anyway, to wrap up, I want to come back to Janine. So based on her assessment, most likely because of her history of diabetes and because her BMI is 30, she is at higher risk for fatty liver. So when I got those labs back, I had a conversation with her of, you know what, likely these labs are related to those two factors. We have a few options. Number one, we can try to do further lifestyle assessment and modification as appropriate versus is she already doing all of the things to potentially help with that situation versus do, you know, and then we proceed with the next diagnostic steps in terms of an ultrasound and then those other labs, that's a conversation with the patient, right? And that's my comfort level because I've been in practice for six years at this point where I feel comfortable having seen it so many times that I will allow, you know, I will have that conversation of like, you know what, you get to choose. Do you want to try to do some interventions before we do more testing or do you want to go straight to testing and then consider our interventions after that, right? The other piece, because she was a brand new patient, is that I needed to request records from her previous PCP because I didn't know if she had previously had this done before, if she had it worked up before. She said that she had never heard of it before, so I'm taking her at her word. But best practice is to really get the full records of what has been done in the past because even myself as a clinician, I don't always remember all the medical things I've ever had done and when. The other piece is that I want her to return for a physical exam, depending on when her last one was, because you have to do that according to insurance to make sure that they are not uh, responsible for that payment. That's another conversation. But when was her last physical and making sure that we schedule it on an annual basis, figuring out a follow-up plan for her diabetes. Do we want to do it every three months or six months? 
depending on how stable it is. If you remember her A1C was 6.7 and she's been on that medication for quite some time. So um, we could potentially do every six months instead. However, if you remember back to the beginning, her blood pressure was slightly elevated. And I have another video about hypertension on the YouTube channel that you can check out if you'd like, but that's a, another conversation about, okay, is this a one-time high reading because she's nervous because it's white coat hypertension because it's the first time she was there versus what did her other records say? And is she open to changing her meds today? Or do we wait and see? Does she check her blood pressure at home, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, not to get like too much into that topic, but that's the, the initial approach that I would take in terms of her like holistic care. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review and tell all your NP friends. So together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.